Thanks very much for joining us for episode 14 of InTech Freight and Logistics, the podcast. I'm Kevin Baxter, and I'm joined by my co-host for this edition, InTech CEO, Rick Lagore. On this episode, we look at freight transportation and climate change with a focus on the railroads. Let's get started. The need for sustainability and responsible environmental practices continues to come into focus in all walks of life, and freight is no exception, especially with the volume of transportation movement it involves. While railroad is already among the best ways to transport cargo with reduced emissions, the Association of American Railroads recently released a paper outlining how it can get even better. To discuss, we welcome Jordan Stone, Assistant Vice President, Government Affairs, and Devin Sprinkle, Assistant Vice President, Environment, Hazardous Materials, and Climate Change with AAR. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thanks. Jordan, we'll start with you, and then uh, Devin, if you want to jump in right after. Tell us first just a little bit about uh, yourself and your role with AAR. As you mentioned before, I work in the Government Affairs Department at AAR. I specialize primarily in appropriations, energy and climate policy, as well as trade policy for the railroads here. In my prior time, I served on the Senate T-HUD Appropriations Subcommittee, which is Transportation, Housing and Urban Development. Um, This primarily works to fund the government in what most people commonly hear of as the omnibus at the end of the year that, that funds the government. And in that capacity, I worked a lot on DOT programs and, and ensuring that they had adequate funding. And Kevin, my background, I'm a 26-year railroad veteran. I came to the AAR last July after 25 years working with a Class 1 railroad in the environment space. I work to develop and coordinate industry policy in the areas of environment and hazmat. Great. I guess we'll start with you on this one then, Devin. So uh, we know that freight transportation is uh, a major contributor to greenhouse gas emissions just because of what it is. Uh, How important is it for the industry to work to uh, cut down those contributions? I think it's very important. I think the industry obviously knows that it's, it's very important for us to continue to cut rail is you know, we have a bit of a head start, we feel we're in a good position here. But uh, again, obviously important. Yeah. And just to just to jump off of that, I mean, currently, we're only about 1.8% of transportation related emissions, despite making up about 28% of freight movement by ton miles. So we we are a very, very efficient system already. But I, I mean, I can't say enough, we know that we we can do more to continue to reduce our emissions. Admittedly, um, and I'm sure as y'all are very, very aware, rail is a hard to decarbonize industry and is justifiably labeled so. The safety, power, and reliability demands that the railroads place on a locomotive are very rigorous. But we understand that the industry has to get there and reach you know, a, either alternative fuels or continue to reduce the emissions associated with our current fleet in order to remain a sustainable transportation solution. And at a governmental level, it seems to be a priority of this administration. So so is this paper sort of partially involved in uh, response to working with the, the government on those priorities? Yeah, I, I will say, you know, we work extensively right now with DOE, who is the primary side of uh, DOE and FRA are, are the two entities that kind of would work with this. DOE is developing the technologies and working with the rail industry and on our locomotive manufacturers to develop those technologies. And FRA's role is to ensure that those meet the safety demands to operate on the rail network. 
And this paper, I think, is reaching out both to FRA and the administration, but also to Congress to make sure that they're aware of the progress that rail is making in improving fuel efficiencies and reducing emissions, as well as ways that Congress can continue, because I can't emphasize enough how impactful the IIJA is in a lot of these programs and helping the rail industry decarbonize, but also highlighting ways that they could further help the industry reach kind of our emissions goals that we have. Just for the listeners as well, could you spell out the, let us know it's a couple of the acronyms, right? Oh, pardon me. IIJA is the Infrastructure Investments and Jobs Act. That is broadly known as the bipartisan infrastructure bill that came out, was this two Novembers ago, Mm -hmm. finally enacted. That program, that bill is a litany of programs in it that are super supportive. I'd probably highlight one as being most notable for in the FRA space, which is the Federal Railroad Administration, is the, I'm throwing another acronym, the CRISI (laughs) grant program, which is Consolidated Rail Infrastructure and Safety Improvements Grants. Mm -hmm. This program specifically in the bill provides $5 billion in addition to annual appropriations for this program. And the only other acronym I think I had was DOE, which is Department of Energy. And I apologize for federal acronyms. Yeah, no worries. (laughs) I'll try my best to reduce those. (laughs) No worries at all. So one of the pieces that that comes up in the paper and, and we've heard as a goal overall is the term net zero. Tell us a little bit about what net zero means and how does it look for the railroad industry to be able to get to that goal? I know 2050 is a, a time frame that's been discussed. I mean, net zero, I guess, generally as a concept just means that your carbon offsets and those can be numerous things that are used would be greater than your total emissions that are associated with that. The one thing I'd emphasize here in terms of a whether how railroads will go about reaching that is that every railroad that we have is unique and that everyone is going about how they reduce these emissions in different ways. But the one thing that they all do have in common is that they all have an approved target with the science-based targets initiative. And that is an organization that is ensuring that measurements done by corporations are science-based and that these emissions are are substantive in, in how they're representing them. And all the railroads are working with SBTI to show their progress. So in the paper, some of the things that you have, I found pretty interesting. So can you share with our audience some of the activities or, or goals that they have within the railroads to try to become more fuel efficient? Yeah, sure. So I don't know if you want to talk specifically about work in yards that we're doing right now or... Yeah, I guess if you want to speak to that, the yards present opportunities around yard switchers, various equipment such as cranes, service vehicles, hostler trucks, things like this. There's every piece of equipment in a yard really represents an opportunity to reduce emissions Jordan, if you want to jump in with. Yeah. And some other things that I'd, I'd emphasize with railroads, we're acquiring and retrofitting tons of, of locomotives so that we ensure that those are as fuel efficient as possible and emit fewer you know, criteria pollutions and greenhouse gases. We're also developing, um, one railroad has a project right now with U.S. Steel to develop a more aerodynamic, higher strength, lighter weight steel rail car that is going to not only decrease the fuel needed to haul the freight, but also extend the life of the rail car. And then 
railroads themselves, I mean, locomotives, I feel like people envision in their minds, people are still shoveling coal into uh, or um, and their steam engines, but that's far from the case now. I and mean, these things are very sophisticated, computerized machines that now have installed fuel management and network optimization systems. You know, they calculate the most fuel efficient speed for a train to operate over a route and determine the most fuel efficient spacing and timing for trains on networks. It's a very sophisticated thing. And I mean, the goal here is to both increase performance while also increasing fuel efficiency on the network so that we can serve our customers as well as possible while harming the environment as minimally as possible and being as efficient as possible. And then this is not necessarily rail oriented, We've also incorporated a lot of neat technologies at yards that reduce the emissions from trucks that come to our yards. Because I mean, while trucking is our biggest competitor, it's also our biggest customer. So we are constantly trading containers with trucks and having automated gate systems that help them get in and out of yards and reduce fuel usage and idling is something that we think not only makes an impact on total emissions in the country, but also in the communities that those yards operate in. So speaking to that a little bit in terms of some of the technologies and fuel on the truck side, there's a lot of conversation going on around changing over to electric trucks. Is that something that is a potential within the locomotives themselves, or is there areas where other technology can be brought in that's similar to what trucks are looking at to bring down emissions also? Yeah, I guess so. On the subject of catenary, uh, it's just not, it's not feasible for the 140,000 mile network that we have to equip, you know, the entire network with true electric technology. So opportunities uh, for that technology would be more on short segments of rail, possibly maybe some yard applications, things like that. Yeah. And so as a result of catenary, just not being able to really meet the demands of the industry, the industry has started really focusing on developing two specific technologies with their locomotive manufacturers. That's hydrogen fuel cells and battery electric. We're working diligently with DOE right now to accelerate the availability of these technologies. Can't emphasize enough at this point right now, these technologies are pre-commercial. The Department of Energy, Environmental Protection Agency, and Department of Transportation have all come out in, in their decarbonization blueprint and specifically stated that this research on freight rail should be prioritized. Railroads are eager to partner with DOE and the national labs to accelerate any sorts of developments we can in this space. And we believe that's essential because locomotives are very long-lived assets. I mean, these are 40 plus year assets for us commercially. And so we want to ensure that the next generation of locomotives that we purchase are zero emission and can be used at minimum in hybridized concepts so that we can continue to reduce our emissions as an industry. We spoke with EPA a couple of episodes back, and one of the things that uh, I know you just mentioned reducing the emissions at the yards. How about in terms of the yard equipment, moving that into a more electric kind of priority? Yeah, we see that as an opportunity and probably a more shorter term feasible one. Yard equipment such as gantry cranes, service vehicles, forklifts, and uh, hostler trucks. That's more obvious opportunities and less expensive uh, assets as well to go to either electric or some other means that uh, reduces emissions as well. Uh, every 
fringe aspect of yards, let's say, in facilities. There are a lot of opportunities and the railroads are working on reducing emissions and decarbonizing in many ways around the facilities themselves, buildings and lighting and that type of thing. On that same front around the ramps, is there any thought in terms of helping the trucks that come in to create charging stations right there, particularly on the, we're talking intermodal, of course, on the intermodal side, you know, most of these trucks are running 50 to 100 miles. They're looking for a place to charge and the infrastructure overall is a tough hurdle for the trucking industry to get over. Is there anything that the ramps might be considering? Because on intermodal, a driver may be stopping at an intermodal ramp two, three times a day, maybe. That would be a great place for them to go ahead and fuel up on their electric trucks. Yeah, I think infrastructure itself is a topic that, that needs to be addressed. It's, uh, there are challenges there, of course, but I think the yards of the future, let's say, will certainly be accommodating trucks and other service vehicles, employees, and uh, you know, maybe even outward facing. I know we've heard people speak about that as well. So yeah, good opportunities for providing that. The one thing I will flag, and I mean, this is all part of a larger transition, right? And not something that directly affects railroads, I mean, but could have an impact as we transition to a, a more electric oriented economy is we just need to make sure that there's reliable grids to sustain the demand for electricity. If we have all of the switcher locomotives and equipment that we have in the yards charging and trucks on the outside charging, there has to be a grid sufficient to meet those power demands. And we just want to make sure that that exists as well as we make those transitions. Yeah, it's a it's a bunch of things coming together at the same time, really. And uh, I don't know if there's exactly a timeline on when all of the pieces of the puzzle will firmly fit together. And especially, I mean, a lot of rail yards are oftentimes in rural locations where there may not necessarily be a huge power generation facility in immediate proximity. We just need to make sure that whatever grid is there is able to meet the demands of that. And in terms of locomotives, uh, as far as long haul, I know in the, the trucking side right now, the electric for a long haul truck really is not super feasible based on the needs. And so hydrogen, I, I know you mentioned hydrogen a bit uh, earlier. Is there kind of a competition there as to seeing which one will, will sort of win out as a potential long-term solution? Very much so. You know, in America, we have two primary locomotive manufacturers, Progress Rail and Wabtec, and then one railroad, CPKC, is, is working heavily in Canada right now on hydrogen locomotives. Um, and we're planning on having a hydrogen locomotive built in the United States soon. All of those are competing against one another. Batteries right now, admittedly, are not at the performance level to meet mainline demands. There's not the density to put out the power for what is demanded of a, a line haul locomotive that runs 12 hours at a time. And hydrogen has shown some promise as well. And both are hopefully, we're working with DOE on an all solutions front. The railroads are not, and it's not even just limited to those two. I mean, I think we're open to any sort of power that can work in this context to meet the freight demand that we have in the future safely. So getting back to kind of the efficiency of rail uh, that already exists and, you know, the desire to make it more efficient will only uh, improve on that. But you mentioned how much more efficient it is than trucking long haul, for instance. How important is it for shippers and brokers to incorporate rail more into their their strategy to really, you know, increase the benefits in terms of overall freight movement? 
Well, I'd say that we have a good story to tell and uh, they should take a look uh, at us. Jaren, do you want to take that? I think the black and white data speaks clearly about the environmental benefits of transitioning freight to rail, for sure. I mean, one train can move a ton of freight nearly 500 miles on a single gallon of fuel. I mean, that's, that's roughly the distance from Washington to Boston. I mean, that, that, that sort of efficiency is, is tangible, and it's three to four times more, more efficient than trucking on average. You know, as I said before, trucks are our biggest competitors and also our biggest customers. We want this to be an integrated freight system that works effectively and seamlessly to serve our customers. But the environmental benefits that shippers and freight brokers can consider when looking at whether that be scope two emissions or however they want to measure the environmental impact of their of their dealings, I think railroads have the data to show that we are an impactful, environmentally friendly, sustainable means of transportation. Yeah, and I'll just jump in there here also. So to give you a little, you guys a little bit of a history on us. So back in 2007, we made a strategic decision to move our business to be primarily intermodal. So at this point in time, 90% of the freight that we move for shippers is goes intermodal wise. So we're huge proponents of that. But at times it gets a bit frustrating because we can sit there and, and we sit in front of our customers. And one of the things that uh, I've been putting out there lately is that how as the people in the industry, whether it's the AAR or the EPA or all these other acronyms, how can we get the word out better to change the, what I would say, move the topic of sustainability and green solutions from what I would put as a tagline to this is going to be an absolute strategic direction? Is there other ways that we can get the news out besides podcasts and blogs and are there other communities that you guys are working with or working hand in hand with the EPA to get this news out that it's not only, you know, it greens the environment, but it's also green for providing more profit for companies to, to go this direction. I can tell you railroads work to spread this message to any person that will listen to us. Um, and that includes our customer base, Congress, the administration, and everybody you know, I think and I hope at least at this point has recognized that rail is truly a an environmentally friendly means to move, you know, very heavy things, very long distances over land. And that we're we truly will work with anyone and everyone to to spread that message. We're happy to if you have suggestions, I would love to, nothing more than to create a list of people to reach out to. My job. <laughs> but uh but, um, you know, in terms of things that I think tangibly we could do policy wise, one of the big ones is returning the highway trust fund to a user based system. If we're talking about something that would restore the competitive balance that we have in the freight transportation system, the diesel tax has not been increased since 1993. And right now we are looking at a significant subsidy that allows for trucking rates to go below what they naturally would be if they were paying for the true wear and tear that they commit to the, the public highway interstate system. And if we were to return that to an actual user pay system, I think you would see railroads being able to be even more competitive on more routes and be able to be more impactful in the freight space. That brings up another question. So as trucks move more towards electric, what types of policies could be changed because they're not going to be fueling up at, uh, at stations to be able to pick up that tax? Are there other policies that are being reviewed to see what happens as that industry transitions from diesel to electric? I will say that the clear one is VMT by weight taxes. 
So VMT is vehicle miles traveled, and that would be a that would be a way that we could ensure that electric vehicles, which current traditional diesel power trucks, as you noted, pay at the pump. This would be a way to measure their actual usage of the roads and then pay a fee for the damage that they are incurring to whether that be bridges or roads or whatever infrastructure that may be. And right now in Congress, I can tell you there's a highway cost allocation study that is ongoing. Um, This was part of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill, that will start to measure out the actual cost of various stakeholders' usage of the interstate system, and then provide recommendations in conjunction with the Treasury on how we can return those taxes, whether that be diesel taxes or a VMT scheme in place, put those in place to ensure that we return to a user pay system. Makes sense. One last thing on sort of integrating rail into a strategy. Maybe people have some hesitations. Are there some, you know, particular misconceptions out there that you're always trying to knock out? I think one thing the rail industry consistently struggles with in terms of at least public conception, maybe not within the freight transportation space, is that rail is an antiquated form of freight transportation. And we are anything but that. I mean, some of our biggest customers are in air intermodal intermodal customers that we're trying to ensure we serve, you know, in a timely manner, and that these are high-tech operating environments that we have and can serve customers timely and efficiently and make sure that we meet their demands. And overcoming that, I think, is one of the challenges the industry has, at least in terms of a public perception. So uh, getting back to the paper, and and you've mentioned a little bit about this in terms of Congress and, and policymakers helping on this this journey to reach climate goals. Actually, in the paper, there are eight items listed in that regard. Can you go over a, a couple of the highlights of those? Yeah, sure. I mean, two that I don't think we've touched on a ton, the, the first of which is railroads right now are working with locomotive manufacturers and refiners to test higher blends of low carbon fuels. And that includes biodiesel and renewable diesel which can result in a substantial reduction in greenhouse gas emissions from our current locomotive fleet. I will flag that um, railroads are in general supportive of mode neutral programs to domestically produce a sufficient supply of these alternative fuels, as well as construct the necessary infrastructure to ensure that supply meets demand. And that one of our concerns is that railroads just want to ensure that any sort of subsidy that goes to a particular mode of transportation doesn't undermine other modes' efforts to have access to those fuels. And that that would be one of the the big ones for us. You know, we view both biodiesel and renewable diesel as a as a real short and medium term solution to reduce the emissions with our existing fleet. And the second one I would emphasize. And this is less to do with emissions, but more to do with climate resiliency, is that we are proponents of both permitting reform, as well as gaining additional flexibilities to use new technologies to improve the safety of our network. Right now, railroads invest an average of $23 billion a year into maintaining and enhancing their infrastructure and equipment. And part of that is to ensure that our infrastructure and operations are able to withstand some of these climate-related hazards that are becoming more frequent, whether that be wildfires, major storms, et cetera. And we just want to make sure that we are able to construct that infrastructure 
while taking into account the environmental concerns with any of those things as quickly as possible so that we have a hardened grid and we are using the technologies on our network to ensure that our network is as safe as possible in any event of any sort of natural disaster. Anything else from the paper or related to this subject that you wanted to add before we wrap up? Yeah, I will say I touched briefly on some of the DOE programs that we have for research, and we just can't emphasize enough how important the partnering that we are going to have as a rail industry. We have a research facility, MXD Rail, that also does a ton of testing on these matters. It's a premier research facility out in Colorado, and we look forward to partnering with these national labs in order to ensure that not only this technology, because oftentimes DOE is developing technologies conceptually, right? This engine can work, that this can be safely incorporated into the network. And we just really look forward to the opportunities to work with them. And so if someone's interest has been peaked a bit, uh, where can they go to learn more about these initiatives? That would be aar.org slash climate change. Great. Devin Jordan, thanks very much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks for joining us for InTech Freight and Logistics, the podcast. And thanks very much to Devin Stone and Jordan Sprinkle for taking the time to speak with us. Check out the links in the description to learn more about everything we discussed. Subscribe or follow now to ensure you get our latest episodes as soon as they're available. And you can help us out by rating and reviewing us wherever you listen. If you have questions, email us at podcast at intechlogistics.com and visit intechfreight-logistics.com for more about what we do. For Rick Lagore, I'm Kevin Baxter. We'll talk to you next time.